Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome in to episode 83 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. So, Doug, I was camping this last week, as you know. I had I decided for some reason that it would be a good idea to go camping during the draft. The guys I'm going with, they, they're, they're not big hockey fans, so for them, it's like whatever. And when we agreed on the date, I didn't think, oh, third week of July, that would be when the NHL draft is. So... From Thursday evening until about Sunday afternoon, I was completely out of cell range. So, man, can you imagine my shock when I start getting back into cell range somewhere near Souk and people are like, what do you think of the trade? Holy crap, that was quite the trade. Um, And that just really has started what is going to be probably one of our busiest episodes to record over this past week. Yeah, I mean, it's a Canucks-a-Palooza episode we got going on here. I actually tried to call you... uh, I was at a a local business establishment with some other people on Canucks Twitter, uh, Leaf Rollin', Jabbo Vancouver, uh, Wadi World, Juggy, and Dagger. And yeah, I tried to call you. I mean, obviously it was before the draft, but I tried to call you in the middle of the day because I thought maybe you would, you know, I know you talked about maybe trying to get back into town to go to a pub and watch the draft. And I was like, dude... Uh, but yeah, obviously you were still out of cell service and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a ton to unpack in this episode. Uh, I did try, I was out near Port Renfrew and there's no cell coverage out there. So I, I figured maybe the pub would have some Wi-Fi. their Wi-Fi doesn't work either. Um, so I was completely in the dark, but I'm relatively caught up now. I say relatively cause by my accounts, we had 14 signings by the Canucks today. I don't know if that's ever happened before. There's a lot to go over. We have two trades. We have two buyouts. We have uh, the draft. We have free agency. Uh, it is going to be a busy episode and we are just going to stick to Canucks. I know there's been a ton of stuff going on around the NHL. We're not really going to touch on any of that stuff. We'd be here all day. This is going to be a Canucks only episode. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I want to say that maybe isn't Canucks rated is fuck the Montreal Canadiens for picking Logan Mayu. Uh, Absolutely disgraceful that they would do that. Um, That's all I want to say on that topic. And also the Canes with uh, Tony D'Angelo. That's uh, that's a questionable signing as well. Yeah, yeah, I actually forgot. Uh, I I just saw that before we hit record that uh, he had signed there, which again, I, I don't get it. Well, I think maybe next week or the week after, this is going to take us a while to get caught up on Canucks stuff. We'll we'll maybe get into some of the stuff going on around the league and certainly with the Pacific Division because everyone in the league has been very busy. But yes, it's it's all Canucks from this point on. Um, you could also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas and the podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And Pete and I continue to grow this playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Be sure to give that a follow on Spotify. Some really groovy tunes on that playlist. And yeah, I'm, I'm editing this episode, so I'll, uh, I'll add something groovy to that playlist as well. Well, hey, let's just start right where the week really began. So um, like I said, I went out of cell range Thursday and Friday. One of the biggest trades I can remember... If for the Canucks, or at least in a long time, at least in the modern era, occurred. And of course, I had, I had no idea that this happened for about two days. But the Canucks acquiring OEL and Connor Garland, we, we'd heard the rumors of OEL forever, in exchange for the giant 
salary dump that was Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and Louis Erickson. And that was the thing. Is the first name I saw when I opened up that trade was Louis Erickson. I'm like, holy crap, the Canucks traded Louis Erickson, along with a first who turned into Dylan Gunter, a 2022 second, and a 2023 seventh. I wonder what the negotiation process was for that seventh. So the Canucks essentially send six players for two. Doug, you were on the ground here when all that was happening. Can you walk me through it a little bit? What was going on? Well, I was at work. And so I just kind of popped on the Twitter just to see something. And I was like, holy shit. It sounds like the Canucks have just dumped all their bad contracts to Arizona, where all bad contracts go to die. And, um, and they were taking on OEL's contract, which was a little concerning. And they were also acquiring Connor Garland, who I obviously heard a lot about him this past year, but I don't know what I didn't know a ton about the player at the time of the trade. I know a lot of people were really high on him, but he sounds like he's going to be a really solid addition to our top six. And yeah, I mean, I've had a little bit more time to process the trade and I have, you know, some opinions about it, some worries about it. But overall, I mean, yeah, it sent Canucks Twitter and the Canuck fandom and fan base into a frenzy. Like this is the kind of trade that can push you over the edge or can cripple you. It's it's you're basically you're chain you're trading away short-term financial cap restraints, which the Canucks had to do with Petey and Hughes coming in off of their ELCs this year for a little bit of a, what could be a long-term headache. Now there's two things with OEL that make this a little more manageable. One is that Arizona retains 12% so that makes the cap hit 7.25 instead of 8.5. So marginally palatable, but uh, it's still in the this salary cap era. Every little bit helps. And two, looking into this deal more in terms of buyout options, after about four years, this deal is buyoutable if it really is bad. Now, personally, OEL is a guy that for years I had on my hockey pool team. And I haven't the last couple of years because he has dropped off and he's even admitted that. For me, I, I do think he's got more in the tank, but Connor Garland, when I heard we got the rights to him, I was I, that was for me, that was the centerpiece of this trade. I was really excited because he is exactly what the Canucks need, right age range as well, just like uh, just like Dickinson getting in there in that 25-year-old range, and I think he's going to be a fantastic player. And look, we have a second line now all of a sudden uh, with Garland, Horvat, and Hoglander. Yeah, and Garland's also good friends with Jack Rathbone, um, which is great. You know that there's that kind of camaraderie and friendship prior to him joining the team. Um, and not just a second line, Pete. Like, I think we have a really solid third line. Like, that top nine that you have been pining for since before we started this podcast, um, which is nearly two years come August, Wow, time flies. Uh, we've kind of got that now. I mean, I know initially people are saying, you know, Pearson should be the guy that slots to the third line and he could play with Dickinson and Pod Colson. I think Green to start the year is still going to have Pearson in the top uh, six. And you're probably going to see Hoglander potentially move back to the third line. But again, regardless, Pod Colson, Hoglander, Dickinson on the third, or Pod Colson, Pearson Dickinson on the third that's probably one of the better third lines this Canucks team has had since the 2011 era Canucks 
And the other thing that I think the addition of Garland specifically really helps, which was a major problem for last year's team, is the second unit power play. Last year's power play was absolutely abysmal. And having a guy like Garland, potentially a guy like Pod Colson or even Hoglander on that second unit as well, I think will give that unit a lot more pop. And they should, in theory, be able to be a lot more productive heading into next year. And you also have OEL who you can use in in power play duties in in Jack Rathbone. And uh, something that I know we've talked about before is how the Canucks like to use four forwards for 100 of the 120 seconds and what that does to the forward lines. And when you're not deep in the bottom six, when you get no offense out of that, it really throws your offense out of whack for a few minutes after you're on the power play if you don't score. So it kind of like, yeah, you have that two minutes of power play time, but then you have about two and a half minutes after that of unproductive forward time so getting and for me like getting a top nine has been such a priority and I do feel that we have it it's it's got some potential in there for sure I think Pod Colson obviously being a rookie we have high hopes for him and I think he's going to be a factor but it also takes a lot of this pressure off of Horvat. I know we've talked about this before is you can now use Horvat more exclusively as an offensive player and if you're doing that and you have a healthy Pedersen back that is also going to be a real jump to this top six now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think having a healthy PD back, given Horvat less tougher matchups and him being able to focus more on his offensive game as opposed to trying to be a two-way player, I think is going to be much more productive for Horvat offensively. Uh, I think regardless of what you think of the trade, the team is better today than it was prior to that trade being made. It is. It just is. There are lots of questions and concerns about OEL. He has really, you know, been not that productive and hasn't been a great player the last couple of years in Arizona. Maybe it's the last three years or so. Um, But I do think he's a guy that wants to come in with a fresh start, wants to prove that he is still an elite defender, Again, do I love the fact that he's still under contract for six years? No. However, you alluded to earlier, Pete, it is actually a pretty friendly buyout after year four of this contract. Um, And I do think he's going to be better in Vancouver. And he is an Edler, quote unquote, replacement. Um, And I think he's better at this junction of his career than Edler is. Unfortunately, you know, I love Edler. He's been a long-term Canuck. Uh, Most games played from a defenseman, most points by a Canucks defenseman in history. He'll end up in the ring of honor, I'm sure. But right now, OEL is a better defenseman despite the contract. And I think if this Canucks group can get three, four solid years out of OEL, this has the potential to be an absolute home run of a trade. This trade will be dictated more so by what happens with OEL than it does with Connor Garland. I'm not concerned with Connor Garland his his analytics his numbers they're they're all trending the right way and he's 25 Ekman Larson is 29 which by the end of his six-year deal that means he's 35 which is how old Alex Edler is and if I, I it's not unreasonable to think that he will decline towards the end there the goal though with this is to get four years out of Ekman Larson if you can get four years where Ekman Larson is a useful player then this trade is a win if you can't it's going to be questionable because then the trade now really becomes 
Gunther for and a second for Connor Garland, which is a hefty price to pay. But if Connor Garland is able to put up 25 goals, 60 point seasons, which I think is kind of more of his top shelf, I think he could push past 60 a little bit. Then you know it's it's still it's it's a it's a tougher trade to swallow. I mean, no one in Vancouver likes trading back to back firsts, right? I mean, that's that's the thing that that's hard to swallow. But if OEL works out and Connor Garland works out, I, I can live with it. But we, we can't trade our first next year under any circumstances. We got to keep our first next year. Well, and heading into this year's trade deadline, the asking price for teams wanting to inquire about Connor Garland was a first round pick. That was the bar Arizona set. So would you give up a first-round pick for Connor Garland? I think most people would say yes. Would you give up a top-10 pick for Connor Garland? Yeah, there's a little bit more of a debate or a conversation to have there, but I think, yeah, you probably would, especially if you're trying to win in this next window of three to four years, which I think that's what this trade does, and I think that's what the Canucks are trying to do. There were reports from media members saying that every player on the Canucks team that they had talked to off the record was ecstatic with this trade. And again, it was no ill will towards the three guys that were leaving the team in Russell, Beagle, and Erickson, but just the fact that they were able to turn those bad contracts into serviceable players. Now, did you save any cap space? No, you didn't because OEL, it's 7.2%. They did just re-sign Garland to just under five. So that's almost the same $12 million that they sent out to Arizona coming back in. But at least that $12 million has been shifted to players that should and will help this team moving forward. And that's uh, that's something I've been saying. And I think that's a really good point is this trade. Yeah, we dumped cap, but this trade actually increases Vancouver's cap when all is said and done by about a quarter of a million dollars. Not much, but I think the Canucks had a number going into it with what they wanted to get Connor Garland signed for. And I think the teams were looking at the math. It's like, hey, 12 million is kind of where we need to work with to make this work. And Arizona can say, all right, we can take on all these bad contracts that'll help you out in the short term and relieve this pressure. But it's the dead weight. And we we know how much dead weight the Canucks have had when you're looking at over a quarter of your cap really sitting there in dead weight. I mean, just the fact last year that you had Berchi, Spooner, Erickson, Luongo, and that, like that alone right there is what, like, like 12 million bucks or 10 million bucks. You know, it's, it's, and, and you can't have that in this cap era where you need to be maximizing and getting something useful out of everything. So at the very least for next year, at least, it's the Ekman Larson and Garland, 100%. That's an upgrade over the guys we send out. It's just now going long term, what do you get out of OEL in particular? Because this trade is going to be dictated by OEL's success and also on Arizona side, what Dylan Gunter does uh, for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Canuck fans would have had a meltdown if Brant Clark would have fallen to nine, if. Kent Johnson was there at nine, or even uh, Eklund, who was falling. I believe the Sharks ended up drafting him. But if any of those players had been there at nine, I think most Canuck fans would be screaming bloody murder at the moment. But, you know, Gunther was a high projected top 10 pick. But for me, like, 
eases the blow of giving up the first round when the kind of three big guys, and you can even throw Luke Hughes in there as well. None of those guys would have been available to the Canucks at nine. So it makes me feel a little bit better giving up that ninth overall pick. For me, the, the one issue with the trade that I have is giving up the second next year. To me, I felt like that was unnecessary considering we're taking the term of OEL's contract for the next six years, and yet we still had to give up a second. Now, I think it was Thomas Drance that said, look, giving up a second for Arizona, in theory, to retain 12% salary is worth it. But again, it's just the term that you have left. I mean, essentially, it's, it's at least a four-year deal, right? At, you know, At the absolute worst, it's a four-year term you have with Ekman Larson, and then you can just buy him out. And, you know, we've both said that it is a pretty friendly buyout. But I think right now, I mean, I think Canucks fans have to, even the most pessimistic fans out there, have to at least be excited that this team should be a lot more enjoyable, funner, and exciting to watch heading into next year. There's no way, and I know a lot of us wanted to, you know, take our milk or whatever and, you know, take our medicine and just suck it up and, trot out Beagle, Erickson, and Russell for one more year and then have that money come off the books. I get it, but I didn't want to go into another season having to watch those guys on this team again. I really didn't. And I'm glad. I'm glad that, you know, Benning made this move. I really am. And, you know, it is all predicated on how OEL performs throughout the duration of the next four years. But, hey, this team is better and going to be much more exciting heading into next year and i mean they just traded three guys that were over the age of 30 i mean i think russell's over 30 and they got a lot younger after this trade as well the canucks now are you know if you look at their average age on this team you know they're they're one of the younger ish teams in the league you know and the i would say the bottom third of average age well, they've done well with a lot of the guys that they brought in. Like we mentioned Garland and Dickinson, uh, both being in the right age range as well. But yeah, it's a lot of new bodies. You know, we've got a new goalie. We got half a new blue line. We got three or four new forwards that'll be starting in the lineup. It is going to be exciting. Hey, I wanted to go back to what you're talking about with, with Brant Clark. Because again, I wasn't around for that. What was the mood like when you were out with the guys there and on Twitter, when the number eight pick was coming up and Brant Clark was still on the board. Oh yeah. We were prepared for a full on meltdown. Originally we were, we were, it was Eklund that we thought, cause again, I think Eklund has the potential to be the best player in this draft. Just my opinion. And again, I'm not a draft expert by any means, but I think he seems to have the highest upside. So when we saw Eklund falling, cause I was actually surprised that Columbus jumped up at five to take Kent Johnson. Well, they didn't jump up, but I was surprised Kent Johnson went fifth overall. I didn't expect him to go that high. Just in every mock draft I saw, he was more, you know, late top 10 than mid top 10. Um, and then, so we thought Eklund was falling and we're like, oh, that's interesting. And then, yeah, you know, Eklund went and then Brant Clark was there and we were looking at each other like, man, if Brant Clark is still there when Arizona comes up to make this pick, you know, Canucks Twitter is going to have a meltdown. Thankfully, he did get drafted just before. I'm not saying there still wasn't a meltdown with people not liking the trade, but yeah, I think for me, and I, I think most Canuck fans, it definitely lessened the blow of giving up that first round pick. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that too. I mean, when I come online and I see Mason McTavish third, that was a guy yeah. we thought that the Canucks had a real shot at. We, I think we both 
when we did our predictions last week, I think we said McTavish and Johnson, and they ended up going three and five, which threw a whole things out of whack. And then, yeah, Eklund and Clark both falling. I bet there was a bit of a meltdown happening because if either of those guys were there at nine, I think that would have really changed a lot of the view of that trade for people. So I do think that's a bit of a win right there. Um, and, and the Canucks, at, at the end of the day, are, are they the first team to sign a player from that draft class at, at, at the end of it? Like, I, I don't know if anyone else has actually been signed yet. I believe they are. I mean, I, I, I haven't heard of anyone signing. I mean, I don't even know if some of these top picks are even going to play in the NHL next year. Like, I don't know what Owen Powers plan is. If he's planning to go back to Michigan, I know Matty Beniers probably will end up doing another year in Michigan. Um, I, I would assume Klimovich has been the first player from that draft signed. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it, and obviously there's reasons why the Canucks did that, right? Because there was a chance he could end up in the KHL. I think he was on a PTO for a KHL team and he produced pretty well. I believe he played two or three games and I believe he had a point at least in every game, if not two. And yeah, I mean, he signed today and I mean, yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit more depth later, but yeah, he's got to be the first player from that draft signed. So I admittedly, I, I, with everything going on, I haven't really dug too deep into the Canucks draft class. There is six players. Uh, I, it was great to see them take a goalie, which from the Finnish league as well, which has a lot of upside and Aku Koskinvuo, which I'm sure I spelled wrong. I mean, the Canucks really didn't do a lot of favors with me in name pronunciations with this draft, but Five of the six guys they took were from Europe. Not surprised by that one bit, considering that there's a lot more games played in Europe. But I, I like the the pick of Koskenvuo, and I also like the pick of Connor Lark, Lockhart. That was a guy that I, I think I'd seen him as, ranked as high as 58th. And because the OHL didn't get a lot of games in, he could actually be a steal. I don't know a lot about Myrenberg, Gabrielsson, and Forzel, the Swedish guys. I know Myrenberg's a right D, which we desperately need in the system. Um, but I will say, I think you know, I think there's some value that can be mined. But again, I'm also looking at this with blue and green colored glasses on. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the same. Like I don't know a ton about these players. I've obviously done a lot of research after the draft and to get caught up on who these guys are. I like uh, Danila Klimovich. I know some people felt like that the Canucks jumped up a little a round or two too high to get him. Uh, I know he had that U18 tournament where he was just a wrecking ball, and I think the Canucks saw him in person, and you know maybe they fell in love with him a little bit too much, but he seems like a guy that if he hits, he can be an absolute home run. Now you're betting on you know whether or not he can actually hit, the fact that he's now in North America for the next couple years and the Canucks can control his development as opposed to him being in the KHL. I mean, we saw what happened with Pod Colson last year where he was often getting less than 10 minutes a game. And it's just, you know, you scratch your head considering, you know, how good some of uh, Pod Colson's metrics were and how productive he was in the playoffs. And yet he was still finding himself at the end of the bench game after game. Uh, so I love the Kalimovich pick. I love the fact that they've already signed him and he's coming to North America. Uh, Aku Kos or Koskin Vuo, obviously that's got to be a, a Clark pick. He obvi he's obviously scouted him and likes his fundamentals. The Jonathan Marenberg pick is interesting to me too. And again, I don't know anything about this guy, but um, 
you know, he's got some interesting numbers. If you look at that junior team that he plays or that, sorry, that junior league in Sweden, he plays for, he played for this year. He's like second all time in defensemen for uh, points per game. And there's some interesting players on that list. Uh, There's the player that, Unfortunately, Montreal Canadiens picked first overall, who's at the top of the list as far as points per game in that in that um, in that league. But you know, there's other guys. Oscar Clefbaum played in this league, and he's higher than him. Uh, you've got Robert Hag, Alex Edler, Oliver Ekman, Larson. They all played in this league, and he averaged. Uh, 0.67 points per game where a guy like Alex Edler during his time in this league only averaged 0.38 points per game. So, you know, to me, there's some untapped potential with this kid. We'll see. You know, it's always a crapshoot whether or not any of these players actually make it to the big show. Uh, And then, yeah, I heard a lot of good things about Connor Lockhart from a lot of the draft experts out there. Thought it was a really good pick from the Canucks. I believe he was the third overall pick in the Bantam draft in the OHL the year he was drafted from bantam so that speaks you know quite a bit to the fact that he was highly sought and touted heading into his chl career and uh, ian clark has come out and said that koskin vua was his pick or, or benning said it on his behalf he said this was a guy that ian clark liked so that's why we took him so we already uh we can already give the credit to ian clark if he's good and we can blame benning if he's bad so it, it works out quite well for canucks fans either way Moving on from the draft on this timeline of the week, we now get into the buyout mode. And we had one buyout to start things off with that I don't think surprised anyone. And Jake Furtanen finally off the team. And, you know, I was thinking back to a couple of years ago when we first started this. And I I guess maybe we're getting sappy because we're approaching our our two-year anniversary here. But in the early days, uh, we got a lot of help from uh, Chris Faber starting up uh, over at Canucks Conversation, who's since uh, exploded with with quads over there. Uh, but we were on, we both were on uh, Canucks Conversation at one point. And I remember both times Jake Furtanen came up. And I, I know we had very different takes at the time. And I was kind of still more like, you know, just this is it, his last chance. That was like two years ago. And he did do a little bit that year, but... That's the end of the Jake for Tannen experiment. He's never going to have lived up to what he could have been. It was definitely a miss with that pick. We missed out on some good players with it. Um, but everything else that's happened with him, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, this was a no-brainer move from a social perspective, from a playing perspective, and from a salary structure perspective. This trade was an app, or this, sorry, not trade, this, this buyout was an absolute no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, it was the worst-kept secret from the Canucks that they were going to buy Jake out this year. Obviously, the allegations, even though they denied it, apparently, that that was the reason why, there's no way that wasn't a factor. And just Jake's play. I mean, I know uh, last year he had 18 goals, but in my opinion, I've never been a fan of the kid. I didn't think he should have been picked when he did. I was never on board with the pick. Uh, There's apparently more allegations against Jake coming out as well not going to get into the details but you know there's several other women who have come out and you know some of these date back as far as his time in junior and some of them date back to a year or two ago so you know who knows what's going to happen with him um I'm glad he's no longer a Canuck um yeah it, it saves the Canucks you know from a hockey perspective it saves the Canucks was it like almost 
two and a half, three million dollars, I believe, in cap space. It's two and a, two million. It saves off the cap this year. Okay, two million, and then it only cares what is it like a five hundred thousand cap uh, hit next year, which I think is pretty solid. Uh, it needed to be done. I think he actually wore his welcome out with a lot of his teammates as well. I really do. There were rumors halfway through the year that um, there was a trade in the works between the Canucks and Anaheim for Danton Heinen. The Canucks refused to retain any salary, and apparently that's why that trade fell through. I remember, I think it was last year at training camp, or maybe it was the year before, I don't know, all the training camps when Jake would show up out of shape, and there was the one where Horvat was yelling at him to, you know, to skate or whatever it was, you know, and it made its rounds on social media, but I really do think it, you know, it it, it speaks to his lack of professionalism and his lack of commitment to being an NHLer, and yeah, good riddance, that's all I can say. And what it does to the culture of the team as well. I think a lot of these moves uh, are a part of that. Um, And I think we'll we'll get into some of those later as well. But I do think a lot of talk has gone into the culture uh, with Garland and OEL as well. And Dickinson, like I know we talked about Dickinson being one of the faces for the BLM movement. There's a real shift, I think, uh, making the team younger and more accountable. And you can't have one guy who's younger, like for 10, and he's a couple of years older than uh, some of the guys on the team, like Petey Hughes and Hawk. And you can't have him poisoning that room. And and you need the guys, the right guys leading. And I think Horvat and Dickinson, I think we're going to see an A on Dickinson in the next year or two on this team as well. I, I really like the guy. Um, but yeah, good riddance uh, to Vertanen. Didn't work out. And uh, in a way, it's kind of good that that Denton Heinen trade didn't work out. He wasn't qualified by the Ducks either, and retaining salary probably would have cost the team more, at least this year, uh, where they are tighter up against the cap. The other buyout, a little surprising. Uh, we'd heard his name kind of bantered around a bit. Braden Holtby, and again, maybe there was a little bit of this. It just wasn't the right fit, uh, similar to some of the other things we've seen. Uh, but Braden Holtby getting bought out. Not ideal from a year two perspective in terms of his cap hit. It's $1.9 million, but... Uh, again, I think it had to be done. It frees up when you look at the plus and minus this year. It frees up another million bucks. And again, it just sounds like it wasn't the right fit. And and let's be honest, he didn't play very well. He was not solid in a backup role. I, I thought that with Ian Clark there, it would turn things around. And I know I'm on record with saying that. And I, I was wrong with that. It, it just didn't happen. So what do you think? Uh, were you surprised at all, Doug, by the Holtby buyout? Uh, I mean, I was and I wasn't. I do think that they were trying to trade him. And I, I think it was Rick Dollywall reported on the Donnie and Dolly show that the Canucks were willing to eat 500000 of his salary to retain. And teams wanted them to retain one or $1.25 million, and the Canucks wouldn't do it. And that's why they got stuck holding the bag. They wouldn't do it. Uh, and so the Canucks decided, you know what? Okay, we just got to buy him out now then. Um it's a shame because I think Holpe's a really good person. And I know he wasn't great in Vancouver during his one year with us. But, you know, he did seem to get a bit better as the season went on. It was him who played those back-to-back games against the Leafs. And, you know, coming out of the COVID outbreak the team had. And, you know, he was extremely sharp in both those games. Um but yeah, the Canucks, in retrospect, looking back at that contract, they definitely overpaid. I also think, and this is an issue that they had last year with most of the signings. You look at the 
RFA contract they signed for Tannen to, and obviously this Holpe deal, they backloaded those contracts. So it made it so much harder for them to actually try to move those contracts this year because sure, Holpe's cap hit was what, 4.5, I think it was. But I think they actually owed him $5 million in real money. And that was another issue why a lot of teams didn't want to take him on is because they're like, well, hey, like we're under financial constraints too. We don't want to spend five, $5 million on a backup goalie in real money, not even including what the cap hit is. But hope he should get a chance to sign with another club. I actually think he's already signed with somebody, didn't he? Didn't he go to Dallas, I believe? Yeah, he went to Dallas. Okay, yeah. Again, I, I haven't caught up. I, I worked all day, so I, I, I missed. I've seen a few tidbits of players and where they went. Um, so, you know, that should be a good opportunity for him. I heard that, you know, Jim Neal, the GM of the Dallas Stars, said he doesn't know when Ben Bishop will be ready to play. So, hope he's a good option for them heading into next year. It's a shame that it didn't work out, but, you know, I also don't think the Canucks management group expected. Demko, despite how well he played in the bubble, I don't think they expected him to take over the crease as quickly as they thought he did. And another guy with a backloaded contract that's going to be interesting is coming up after this year with Brock Besser is uh, he'll need a seven and a half million dollar qualifying offer. So that's uh, another one of those backloaded deals. Yeah, the Holtby thing, uh, you know, it, it sucks to carry one point nine over to next year. But other than that, it's it's fine. Um, I, I think that they again, they've switched things up again. You've brought in a goalie that the team wanted to bring in and Ian Clark wanted to bring in and they said that they were in constant discussions. And again, it's just part of right now, I think shaking out what was a weird year and re-surrounding the guys with with a different core. Uh, I think that's a big part of it for for this group as well. Uh, Holtby seems like a good guy, but again, just wasn't the right fit, which uh, brings me a little bit further down the timeline. I guess, I guess this was yesterday, but it, it feels like a million years ago. Is was it yesterday that Holtby was bought out? Yesterday morning, or was it the day before? We're recording no, Hol- on Wednesday, by the way, Wednesday the twenty eighth. Yeah, I believe Holtby was bought out yesterday, and well, yeah, I guess let's say Tuesday, and the trade also happened Tuesday. I'm guessing that's what you're teeing up here, right? Yeah, for sure. We had uh, we had two more things that happened yesterday. We had the the second trade, which was Nate Schmidt, and we had the Connor Garland extension. So. Both things that were in the works and we'd heard numbers about. We've talked a bit about Garland as well, but let's actually just just talk a little bit more about the the Garland deal itself. So Garland gets a five-year deal with a 4.95 AAV. That is a little bit backloaded, but not too heavy. So uh, just so people know, it kind of ranges from 3.75, goes to 4 to 6 to 6 to 5. So again, it's, it's not a completely backloaded deal. Important thing, which we're seeing a lot of this year, no trade clauses not involved in there. So, uh, again, I know we've talked about Connor Garland a lot already, but just with the contract itself, uh, do you like it, Doug? Yeah, I mean, I was hoping to get him in for 4.25, 4.5 myself. But I think overall, I think most Canuck fans, which is rare, most Canuck fans really liked uh, the signing and thought it was a tidy piece of business by Jim Benning. I think it's good value. And hopefully it'll be a value contract in three year three, year four of it. He signed for five years. He seems excited to be coming to Vancouver. He was a guy that I think a lot of people thought could be offer sheeted as well if the Canucks weren't able to unload some more salary uh, prior to today. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good deal. I was hoping for it to come in maybe a shade less than five, closer to five and four and a half personally. 
but overall you can't you can't really be too fussy about this deal I'd seen a lot of projections that had it actually higher than this going into the 5, 5.2 range. So I is about where I thought it would be. Uh, I think I think this is a good deal. I, I really don't have any problems with this. And again, not having a no trade clause in there is a nice piece of business for this team because we, we've seen a lot of those in the past. Uh, Nate Schmidt traded for a third what we got him for he just like Braden Holtby his former capital teammate passes through Vancouver we recover the third which gives an extra almost six million dollars in cap space uh, personally I like this I, I'd been saying I know I know you're well aware of this that uh, if you get a second or a third for him right now you take it and just because you need that cap space and it is very risky to carry Nate Schmidt along with Oliver Ekman Larson and Tyler Myers that's uh, that's there's a lot of risk in doing that I, I think it you know it, this fit with Schmidt just wasn't there lefty playing the right side it, I don't think it worked for his game I don't think it worked for what the Canucks needed with help on the left to, for guys to play with so for me yeah you recover your third kind of back to the drawing board you, you tried it out didn't work best of luck what do you think Doug yeah I feel the same like I like Schmidt as a player I thought he'd be more impactful for the Canucks uh, heading into last season unfortunately it was a weird year he wasn't the fact that we were able to just recoup the third round pick in what is meant to be a deeper draft than this year's draft you know, I think that's a solid win for the Canucks. I obviously it would have been nice to be able to turn it into a second and, you know, get a little bit of a net positive back in that trade. But you know what? To clear the six million in cap space, to recoup your third round pick in what is meant to be a deeper draft, I think that's a big win. And does this give you more flexibility to protect yourself from a potential offer sheet directed at Elias Pettersson? Absolutely it does. Yeah, can you imagine if we had that six million still on the books? Today would have looked very different. And I mean, today was huge. Fourteen signings. I broke it down a little bit by nationality just for fun. Uh, there are nine Canadians, including four from the Lower Mainland and one from the Cree First Nations, three Americans, one Belarusian, and one Slovak. Uh, that's a that's quite the mix as well. I can honestly say that's a first for the Canucks. So many signings today. I'm not even sure where to start with this. I mean, I would say the one that makes the most sense to start with would be Travis Hamannick. He was on the Canucks last year. I thought as the season went on, he improved. I believe he signed a two-year, $3 million deal. I believe it is for two years, $3 million. Two years, $6 million deal, so $3 million per year. Yeah, so I like that move. I really wanted Hamannick back. I, I liked his uh, com- his chemistry that he started to develop with Hughes. I think it's better for Hughes heading into next year to have a partner that he's familiar playing with again as opposed to having to figure out a whole new partner to play with. I like that deal. I Like I said, I, I think that is a, a definite positive for me. Yeah, Hamannick, I, I know a lot of people wanted Hamannick back, and then today I see a lot of people freaking out because it's $3 million for a right-side defenseman. Look, when you saw some of the prices going for defensemen, Mar- Michael Delzato got two. And yes, okay, the Tucker Pullman one, maybe that's a bit high, but 
I'm, I'm again, I'm willing to wait and see what's what's going to happen there. Uh, there could be some value with with that one. Hamannick, he's a good fit. Uh, I, I welcome him back. Uh, it's nice to see that that deal got done because I, I was getting a little worried about the right side and what else was out there. Um, Tucker Pullman, though, very a lot of people didn't like that deal out there. And like I said, I kind of understand it. Um, well, I do understand it. It seems a little high and a little long. But again, I think that's just what the market was dictating. Yeah, I mean, for me with the Pullman contract, it's the term. That's what I have an issue with, right? That was the issue I had with the Beagle signing and the Russell signing. It's the term. Four years? Ugh, I'm not 100% comfortable with that. You know, it would have been nice if it was a three-year deal, maybe even a two-year deal. I believe Thomas Drance was on Donnie and Dolly today, and he said, look, he doesn't feel the dollar amount is off with Pullman, but he figured you've definitely gone a year longer than you should have, maybe even two. And that's been the MO of this management group when it comes to free agency. They sign guys to long-term deals. Now, I saw some of the other long-term deals that were getting signed out there, and thankfully, the Canucks were nowhere near some of those crazy deals we saw today. But for a guy like Tucker Pullman, um, you know, it, it, it four years, I can't imagine many teams were offering him a four-year term. That being said, he did play with Brock Besser at UND. So, you know, they obviously know each other. Um, I believe he might have actually even been on uh, the captain of the of their uh, Frozen Four uh, NCAA championship team, I believe. I could be wrong about that. Um, so, you know, there is uh, some knowledge of one another there and some camaraderie. And, you know, I mean, he could be a solid bottom-pairing guy to go along with another former Canuck who re-signed uh, Luke Shen. Yeah, and uh, just a couple other things on Pullman, a slightly backloaded contract, but again, no, no trade clause, so you can move it. Uh, 28-year-old defenseman who can skate and can hit he's more of a stay-at-home body and really that's what we need I know he only put up like one point last year but we don't need the offensive defenseman we got those covered on the left side we need the stay-at-home bodies on the right and Luke Shen it's it's I'm I'm quite excited to get Luke Shen back and he's right now I, I think you you slate him in as your number seven or your number four D on the right side but what I like uh, he's Got some familiarity. He liked the team enough to to come back to the team as well. Uh, I I think he liked the fact that the Canucks were willing to offer him a two year deal, which uh, which was probably a, a big selling point for him, as it gives him a little bit of stability in a place that he wanted to play. Uh, but I liked when he played with Hughes. I see him sliding in and playing with Rathbone, but you could also put him with Hughes if you need to. Again, stay at home guy. This was in the rumor mill for a while and then it didn't spit out first all these other deals spit out we're like is luke shen happening and then boom luke shen happens yeah i like luke shen too i mean obviously it's not like you know a massive game changer for this team but i think he provides you with more depth on the right side he's a solid stay-at-home physical defenseman which i think this team you know could use um i think he'll probably be more playing with a Jack Rathbone this year than a Quinn Hughes. At least that's my thought. Um, but who knows? Uh, to have more depth on the right side, to have a guy who has, I believe, you know, 600 plus NHL games in his resume doesn't hurt. 
Yeah, it's it's nice to finally get some depth. And he's actually just shy of 800 regular season games uh, in the NHL, which is pretty impressive. He only played an eight in the playoffs last year for Tampa. But again, this is a depth move and a cheap depth move. Um, I, I like it. Welcome that one back. Um, I wanted to also talk, uh, just jumping up to the forwards here, talking more about some of the guys that are coming back. Brandon Sutter comes back. And, if you know... I know we've both said, see you later, Brandon Sutter, uh, quite a few times. But this deal, I'm actually okay with this now all of a sudden. You know, like, instead of having Brandon Sutter as the the $4 million cap hit, we now have Brandon Sutter as the $1.125 million cap hit as a fourth-line center. He's going to be the fourth-line center because we don't have Sutter and Beagle. So all of a sudden, this Brandon Sutter thing, it feels a lot better. At first, I was just kind of like, ah, Brandon Sutter, we've seen this movie. Like, let's get out of it. But I know the the team likes him. The players like him. Come back on a cheap one-year deal and slide into that 4C spot. I kind of like it now. At first, uh, not a big fan. But um, what do you think? I know we've talked a lot about Brandon Sutter in the past, and we are both ready to see a change of scenery. What are your thoughts? It pains me to say this, but I'm okay with this signing. It's a one-year <laughs> deal. It's 1.125, like, uh, I was hoping, you know, it was time to move on from Sutter. Uh, he just, to me, he's not a reliable player that the Canucks can rely on because he's often injured. So that's my biggest issue with him. And it's like, yeah, like when he's healthy, he does bring a certain element that this team needs, but he just can never stay healthy. But can I really be mad getting a guy who, like you said, it sounds like he's a popular player in the dressing room. A lot of players like for one more year at 1.125. I I can't be mad at this. Like I can't, you know, I, I think it's a solid addition. He, if he can be healthy and he's not relied on to play big minutes, you know, in the third center role, which he won't be with the likes of Jason Dickinson on this team. I think there could be some value in this signing. And taking out last year, so last year he did play in 43 of the 56 games, which by his standards is pretty good. But in his previous five seasons, like he's all of a sudden, he's going into his seventh season with the Canucks, which is which is kind of crazy to think. But he's only twice played over 60 games in, uh, in an 80-game season with the Canucks. He had some great luck in Pittsburgh and Carolina, but just Vancouver, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. I think a part of it is his usage. He's now going to be fourth-line minutes, you know, playing 12 minutes a night. He's going to have some help around him, but it's more of a traditional shutdown defensive role. Uh, I'm hoping that helps out his health, but I I really struggle to be angry at this one or upset about this one because it, it sounds like he wanted to stay, the team wanted him to stay, and it's it works for everyone as far as I'm concerned. Yaroslav Halak coming in, in goal. That's uh, There's a lot of names kind of thrown around there. Halak was a name we started hearing yesterday. Uh, that's a guy who, man, it feels like he's been in the league forever. And he, well, he has been really. He's, he's 36 years old. He's played on a lot of teams, but he always seems to get it done. He's just consistently a good goalie. He's been in Boston the last three years. I, I talked to my buddy who's a Bruins fan and they loved him in Boston. And I followed him when he was with the Islanders and they loved him in Long Island as well. I mean, he's a guy who goes back to Montreal who is, who's playing fantastic there and was, it was a Habs a favorite as well. Like he, just seems to get the job done. His numbers are consistent. Even last year, a 905 save percentage in a 252 goals against. That's an improvement on what we had. Yeah, 
look, I, I've always liked Halak. I've always thought he's been a solid backup who often ends up taking the crease from the who's meant to be your number one starter. Um, again, this was a guy that Ian Clark apparently wanted. He was a guy that he targeted or asked management to go out and sign to this deal. Um, I think it's a low risk deal. I know there's no, tr- there's a no a full, no movement clause, which is a little bit, uh, um, I, I believe it was Thomas Drance who I feel like I've name dropped a couple of times this episode, but I believe he said one of the reasons why this isn't a great thing is that you couldn't send him down to Utica or pardon me to Abbotsford because of this, which is unfortunate because of his age. Cause it's this weird veteran thing where they've backloaded some bonuses into next year if he hits the bonuses. So I believe the cap hits only one and a half million, but it can go up to 3 million, but half of it can be kicked into next year. So he's yeah he's a, the the deal with guys thirty five plus is you can make it bonus heavy but the bonuses come off of next year so there could be up to another million and a half that comes off the Canucks cap next year but this year the cap hit is only one and a half million I I understand why some people have that with with the no movement clause but are you really going to send Halak down there I mean it doesn't make any sense Halak is here to be the backup Demko is the starter Halak is there to get in there in the back to backs or when you need to put him in there that. That's what Halak is here for. DiPietro needs a full season in Abbotsford. He needs games. He's only going to get called up if it's an emergency. If one of those guys gets hurt, then you're going to see DiPietro come up. And if it's if it's Halak that gets hurt, DiPietro is going to be the backup. If it's Demko that gets hurt, maybe you'll see DiPietro in a game and Halak rolls into the number one. But personally, I don't have any problems with the no movement clause. It's a one-year deal. And looking at this for this next year, if it was a two-year deal, I'd probably have some issues with it because that could be a guy that you want to flip maybe and two years of course we want Di Pietro to be the star or the backup goalie for the 22-23 season but if you want Di Pietro to be the backup for the 22-23 season you need a full season of him in the AHL after what he's gone through so for me no issues with that the backloading with the bonuses I haven't looked at what the the structure of the bonuses are if they're uh, what performance they're going on if it's games or or what but it it could be another million and a half off the cap next year so we're already carrying 2.4 next year in the, the buyouts for Holtby and Vertanen. So that's getting north of the Luongo recapture number now, which is, isn't ideal, but it's an interesting way of structuring it. You use everything you can. The Canucks really this year wanted to make a, as much flexibility as they could. Um, but I, I have no problems with uh, the way this Halak deal is structured. I think it's kind of clever personally. Yeah, I actually, you know what? I think you bring up a very valid point that no matter how well, DiPietro potentially could play down in the AHL. He needs to spend a full season in the AHL and get as many games under his belt as he can, especially since he went half a year, over half a year, with zero games played. So, I mean, I think that's a great point. I mean, you're not going to call up DiPietro. I don't care how lights out he'd be playing for Abbotsford. You would leave him down there to marinate and get, you know, as many games, as much ice time as possible. I know we talked a bit about Danila Klimovich already, um, but it was still a bit of a surprise to see him sign today on the entry-level deal. Um, I, I like that we, we're going to see him on this side of the pond, more most likely. But uh, again, the other thing that's kind of nice about this is now you have a Russian speaker coming into training camp with Pod Colson. It may not be what we thought it was going to be, but it is kind of cool that you're going to have two guys coming over from the former Soviet Union and going to be in camp together. 
I, I do think the Canucks probably thought about this a little bit. They're like, hey, if Klimovich and Pod Colson can bond, there could be something there one day between those two guys. Yeah, I mean, I also, again, I, we spoke about this early in the episode that he was on a PTO with a KHL team. And I, I really think the Canucks were trying to do everything they could to get him over to North America this year so they could control his development. Uh, I love it. I mean, I think he's a guy that fans, myself included, are going to want to pay to go see live. I mean, he sounds like he's a wrecking ball on the ice. Um, I, I think this is a great move. And I was actually a little bit surprised because I heard reports a couple of days ago that the agent, his agent, had said uh, that Klimovich was probably going to you know, spend at least one year in... Uh, in Russia or in Europe somewhere and then he was planning to come over to North America but the Canucks got it done got him signed to a entry-level contract and he has a couple options next year he could end up in the QMGHL because I believe uh, a team in the Q owns his rights Uh, he could end up playing for Abbotsford and I believe Jim Benning also said he could end up going back to Europe and playing in one of the European leagues whether that's the Swiss League or the Swedish League I think the Canucks really wanted to control what was going to happen with him. They didn't want a, another kind of Pod Colson situation where he was getting bounced around in the, the three Russian leagues. So I think there's a lot of positives for this. And him and Poolman were the only two players today who got three years or more out of the Canucks. Um, one guy I, I wanted to touch on, I, I, I definitely wanted to touch on this because I was pretty excited when I heard that the uh, the Canucks were signing him is Brady Keeper uh, out of the, the Cree First Nations in Manitoba. Um, I don't know, Doug, do you know much about Brady Keeper or uh, should I ramble on a little bit to you? I, I don't, unfortunately. So yeah, I mean, I would love to know more about the player who the Canucks signed today. Um, so yeah, please share. There's a great documentary on TSN about him as well called A Kid from Nowhere, and it's just all about where he comes from, the, the First Nations there, uh, and how it was, you know, there's a, they had dealing with a lot of, of suicides and deaths and from youth and how uh, him and his brothers and sister all just started, they, their dad built them a backyard rink, they started playing, and uh, he eventually kind of got noticed, worked his way up to the NCAA, uh, being first time away from home, didn't enjoy it there and almost left and a bunch of former NHLers uh, Jordan Tutu and Brian Trottier and Aaron Asham reached out to him and told him to stay eventually gets signed by Florida he's got three NHL games to his credit I do remember this story now Uh, and I do remember this documentary now that you're uh, saying it he's played a total of three NHL games but I do think that this is a guy that there's there is potential there. He's got this incredible hustle from the highlights I've watched with him. Uh, he just he plays a little differently, and I also think that fans in Abbotsford, I expect him to start in Abbotsford, but I think he could. He's a long shot to push for the team, I think, but he could push. But more realistically, he's going to play in Abbotsford. I think he's going to be uh, an instant fan favorite in Abbotsford. I'm calling it now. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of the signings the Canucks did. They went and got a lot of local guys from the lower mainland and BC area to essentially go and play in Abbotsford. I mean, a guy like Nick Patan, who, you know, at one time he was a highly touted young prospect. Um, I think this Abbotsford team's actually going to be fairly competitive this year. I really do. And I think that's something that management and ownership really wanted to ice in Abbotsford. They wanted to ice a very competitive team. Uh, getting Klimovich over here, whether or not he ends up in Abbotsford or goes, you know, a different route, I think is great. Uh, I mean, another guy who we're looking at as 
potentially going back and playing in Abbotsford because after some of the signings today, it's harder and harder to see a spot for him is Ole Olevi. You know, he could end up and find himself in Abbotsford to start the season. I don't know if he's waiver exempt. I don't think he is, but I mean, he'd need to clear waivers. That's the only thing. Yeah. But you know, if you, much like how Benning put Markstrom on waivers all those years back, if you do it at the right time, there's a chance that he easily clears because any team that claims them is going to have to carry them on their roster. And I don't see Yul Levy as that guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I actually am kind of excited to see this Abbotsford team kind of shake out and start to develop. And I think it could be a very entertaining team for the Abbotsford, the city of Abbotsford and for Canuck fans in general, man, like I'm looking to want to do, you know, a, a road trip, you know, maybe we can organize with some people, uh, you know, a night in Abbotsford, you know, go thirds or quarters on an Airbnb out there and, uh, go see a couple of Canucks games. I think uh, I think it'll definitely have to happen and c- kind of combine it on a weekend when the Giants are playing uh, out there as well. Uh, the Canucks did bring in four guys from the lower mainland today. You mentioned Nick Patan. Uh, there's also Devontae Stevens, who's from White Rock. There's Brad Hunt from Maple Ridge. And there's Kyle Burroughs from Vancouver. I love that the Sedins sign a Burroughs. And this is something I've said before uh, as well with uh, with the fact that they have this team here. We'd hear heard rumblings from agents uh, for guys who are career AHL players who said they're going to want to play here. They want to come home. And we saw that today with guys like I think the Nick Patan deal in particular is, is a pretty nice piece of business. I mean, he fits maybe as their fifth center now, I'd, I'd say. So, I mean, he could be on the team out of camp. But regardless, it, you brought in four guys with probably more to come as well. People are going to want to play in Abbotsford. If you're a career AHLer, say, hey, the Canucks can put you here. I think you're going to see a lot more of this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I heard people say that, you know, there were a lot of AHL players that were wanting to go to Abbotsford and they were excited at the prospect that they got to live in Abbotsford outside of, you know, Utica, which by all accounts, Utica was a great market for the Comets and the Canucks AHL affiliate. But, you know, it's not the same lifestyle as in Abbotsford. You know, when you're this close to Vancouver and you're in beautiful British Columbia and you got the mountains and lakes and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a destination for a lot of these AHL kids. It really is. The other thing I heard, and I believe again, I, I believe it was Rick Dollywall that said this, um, there's no salary cap in the AHL. So teams aren't under the constraint of a salary cap. So teams can, you know, most of the teams that are the most successful in the A are the teams that spend as much as they can on players. And, you know, you obviously in theory will already have an in of players wanting to come to your team because it's in such an amazing location. Uh, Again, I fully expect this Abbotsford Canucks team to be extremely competitive next year. I think they're building it up as such. I think they're planning to sell it out and they want to entertain the fans and bringing in local kids is going to help as well. Uh, I I don't know much about Kyle Burroughs and Devontae Stevens, but uh, I do know Brad Hunt. Of course, he's been up and down in the NHL for a while, being kind of a depth player with the Knights in the wild over the last four seasons. And he's also been at Edmonton, St. Louis and Nashville. Uh, That's a good piece to add down there. Um, A couple other signings today. uh, There's Philip Di Giuseppe that they signed. He's previously in Philadelphia, or sorry, he was previously in New York. Um, And he's another guy who adds a bit of speed and grit to the team. Uh, There's also 
is Sheldon Dries, who they signed, who I, again, I don't know much about, but is another center who's played uh, in the Colorado organization for over the last three years. He's got 48 games. And Justin Dowling, who was most recently in Dallas as well, who has 76 NHL games to his credit. So you're bringing in guys who have gotten taste of the big show and are now, like again, you need to round out this roster. I think Klimovich could sell tickets pretty well there as well, but I don't even think you need that. I think the fans there are stoked, and they're building a pretty good team down there. Like I'm, I'm looking at this Abbotsford defense right now, and you could have Hunt, Keeper, Stevens, Bowie, Breezebaugh, Burroughs, and Wu as your seven defensemen. That's pretty good, along with DiPietro and Silovs in net. So you look pretty solid from the back end. And we know last year Utica scored. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Gadjevich will be on that team as well. I mean, a line of Klimovich and Gadjevich, you know, they and Will Lockwood, you know, there's there's some exciting pieces there. I don't know if there's any really high-end prospects that are going to be down there. I mean, we'll see what Klimovich becomes. Um, but, you know, there's some good pieces in there, and they should definitely be a very entertaining team uh, heading into next season. I still think Lockwood makes the Canucks out of camp. I, I, I think he could be their fourth line right winger. So, uh, But we'll see. If not, again, he's a good piece to put down there. And I think there may be a lot of guys who, depending on their waiver status, that may play into where guys start as well. We did have a couple other guys leave the team. Uh, Alex Edler is the big one to talk about uh, going to the LA Kings. Uh, probably the best defenseman in Canucks history. The last member of the 2011 squad, which of course was the last team to get to the finals. Alex, man, we're going to miss you. Uh, you're going to get a hell of a standing O when you come back to Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, look, it's sad to see him go. He's probably going to go down in history as the most underappreciated player in Canucks history, despite having all the defense records. My personal opinion, my favorite, and I think the best all-time Canucks defenseman is Matias Olin. That's just me. Um, but Edler is a hell of a player. I'm a little sad that he didn't go to a contender. I was kind of, but he stayed on the West Coast. I think he was more worried about staying on the West Coast, you know, with his family as opposed to maybe going out east to a team that was better set up to go after a Stanley Cup. Um, so that's kind of sad because, like I said, I would have liked to have seen him do that. But you know, he's going to be in our division, so we're going to get to see a lot of him. And like you said, Pete, he's going to get one hell of a standing ovation when he plays his first game back in Vancouver. And sure as shit, you and I will be at that game. Yeah, getting paid to go and play in Southern California for a year. LA's a team on the rise, but you, you can't call them a contender. But uh, again, who knows what offers were out there in LA. A three and a half is a pretty good cap hit of or it's a pretty good hit for him I, I like if the canucks gave three and a half i think there'd probably be explosions in the city that's a number that the canucks just <laughs> just couldn't come to i mean hamannick's even making less than that and people are complaining about him and he was a much more useful player than alex edler was last year so all the best to him uh sven berici going to vegas nice to see him get another kick at the can uh it just felt like things never quite worked out for whatever reasons and we may never know and uh hopefully gets a shot to play in Vegas. I never really know what Vegas is up to. He may just be going down to their farm team, but again, Sven Berchi stays in the NHL. Yeah, again, you know, best of luck to Sven. I mean, obviously his health 
is the most important thing. It should be the most important thing. Hopefully he's, you know, been able to overcome the concussions that he's been dealing with for the past few years. I think Vegas presents itself as a good opportunity for him, especially if they start trading a whole bunch of assets to acquire a Jack Eichel. Uh, that opens up positions on the team for a guy like Berchi to slot in on a third or fourth line. Um, yeah, I wish him nothing but the uh, success uh, in Vegas, unless it's against us, of course. Yeah, of course. And same with Edler. I mean, uh, you know he's going to score in Vancouver. It's going to happen because oh, yeah. this is he's going to get his hundredth goal, his hundredth career goal against the Canucks. I Probably. Guarantee. Mark yeah. it down now. Six twenty three, July twenty eighth, two thousand twenty one. You heard it here first on the Canucks Speakeasy podcast. Alex Edler scores his hundredth goal against the Canucks. Yeah, and it'll either be a rocket or some weird goal, like uh, like off yeah. off a butt. It'll be one of the two. It won't be uh, like some nice passing play. It'll be one of the two. Uh, another bit of Canucks news: Michael Furland. Um, he he's still kicking around, but he has said he's not going to play anymore, which I think is a great decision. Uh, too many head shots. It, it really sucks. We never got to see the Michael Furland. There's a couple of little pieces he got, but man, like there's no way this guy should come back. I know his family doesn't want him coming back. Um, take your time, get better. But yeah, it sounds he's, he said, uh, he's not playing anymore. Yeah. And I'm glad that he's finally realized that that is the correct decision for him and the well being of his family and himself. Uh, I think one of the hardest things in sports is, is players admitting that their time is done and hanging up the cleats or the skates or whatever it is. I think, you know, you see players, and look, not all guys. I mean, you see guys like Jim Brown and Barry Sanders walk away at the prime of their careers, but more often than not, I think it's the hardest decision any athlete has to make. I mean, fuck, Michael Jordan played for the Washington Wizards for years, and I know he was part owner of that team, but still. Um, and yeah, so I'm really happy for referring to coming to this realization and I hope he gets well and I hope he you know is able to move on from hockey and find another career path it's really hard uh, as an athlete and I'm, I'm saying this as a guy who's a, an amateur runner but I run all the time and when I hurt myself or when I take rest days it is really hard like it's it's a hard thing so uh, I know it's not an easy thing for him but hopefully he's getting looked after and can think about life uh, after hockey um, as well so best of luck to Michael Furland hey before we get into the free pour Doug just from all the signings today just quickly give me uh, one of your your favorite and your least favorite um my favorite's Travis Hamanick I think it was imperative that the Canucks got him back. I think he was one of the better right shot defensemen available. And obviously he has chemistry and played with this team last year. So I think that's my favorite. And yeah, I mean, my least favorite's the Tucker Pullman one, just the term. That's my issue. It's the term on that contract that I'm worried about. I don't see how you sign a guy like Tucker Pullman to a four year term. But hey, you know what? It might work out. You said he's only 28 years old, so that you know at the end of the contract he's only going to be 32. There is no, there is no, no movement clause on this deal. So they could potentially flip him after a couple of years if things aren't working out. Um, but yeah, that would be my favorite and my least favorite signings of the day from the Canucks. 
I'd also like to say we forgot to mention that Justin Bailey re-signed uh, as well oh, with yeah. the Canucks uh, for for another year, which uh, which I quite like. Not going to give that one my favorite. Uh, I'm going to give my favorite though to Brady Keeper. I think it's just such a cool story that he has, and having a Cree player on this team, I think is really cool. Um, it's just a feel good story, and he just seems like every interview and stuff I've seen with him, he just seems like a good person. Um, so I'm very excited to have him on there. It's just a, it's a it's a maybe it's a minor move maybe it's not but uh, I like that one you know everyone's shitting on the the, the Tucker Pullman uh, deal it's it's a weird one but I want to give it a year before I shit on it and I, I don't know I don't really have a worse one so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna say Kyle Burroughs just because I don't know much about him and uh, they signed him to a two-year deal and I don't know anything about him but honestly like I'm okay with the deals today. Uh, Pullman certainly has uh, the biggest question marks, I think, out of all of them. That's the only one, I think, that has any question marks. Doug, let's take this into the free pour. Let's do it. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I just want to talk about what is, I think, a really annoying problem in the city of Vancouver when it comes to wanting to go out and watch a sporting event and that is the amount of places that refuse to put the sound on like I don't get it like it's 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. it's nowhere near a club you know and yet we're blaring EDM or you know some random shitty music it's like Put the fucking sound on. That's why people are here. You know, you see three quarters of the people in your bar wearing Canucks jerseys or obviously asking, hey, can you put the sound on? We don't need to hear the playlist you guys play over and over and over again, again. And, you know, this all starts and I'm not going to name names, but obviously there was a group of us that met up for the draft uh, this past Friday. We went to a local establishment that says they're a sports bar. They have Sports Bar in their name, and outside of the group of six of us, there was maybe, maybe 12 other people in this bar. Nobody was there to listen to the shitty music they were playing. They were there to watch the fucking draft, which, yes, they did have it on the TVs, but, I mean, put the fucking sound on. Like, it just it just blows my mind. And I know this is something you and I have talked about for years, Pete, about the frustration, about going... And I know the draft isn't the same as a Canucks game, but even a Canucks game, it is so hard to go to a place that'll actually put the sound on. What is wrong? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a constant battle for us when we're trying to go out to games. Like, hey, will they put the sound on? Oh, I was there last time. They put the sound on. Do you think they'll do it again? I don't know. They said they'd do it. It is really frustrating. If you're going to advertise as a sports bar and if you're going to advertise Canucks games, uh, I think you got to put the sound on. It also just makes it easier to talk, right? Like uh, instead of having the music blasting over the game and you're like trying to talk about the game. So I'm with you on that. Um, I wanted to talk about something that is in its sixth year now in Vancouver. Vancouver and is coming up again and that is the Vancouver Mural Fest and this is a bit of a shameless plug because I'm uh, doing walking tours for them 
this year as well. But Mural Fest is awesome. And the fact that they've been able to keep it going now through two years of pandemic rules uh, is pretty amazing. There's a bunch of new murals. Last year, there was a ton of new murals that they got kind of expanding out of the Mount Pleasant area. Uh, but there, it's just, man, it's there's so many great ones happening again this year. There's so many cool stories with them. I uh, highly recommend people just go and check them out. Like I said, we're doing tours as well. If uh, you care enough, you can shoot me a message and I can shoot you the details or just go to the Mural Fest webpage. But it's a great way to kind of learn about it. A lot of First Nations people represented, a lot of BIPOC, a lot of people just from different backgrounds. It's a really cool festival. Uh, and I encourage you at the very least, grab a bike, go and check out the alleyway around Mount Pleasant, hit some breweries, hit some food trucks. It's a pretty awesome day out. All right. All right now. Sit back now. Relax. Let your mind unwind. Let the cobwebs and fog slip on out of your ears and slide on down your shoulders. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 83 is just about in the books. Uh, I mean, we could be here all day. We didn't even really get into roster construction and, and some of the other moves. We didn't touch on anything around the NHL. But, man, what a what a week it's been. This is like like fantasy mode in, in EA sports games or something. Yeah, I mean, the amount of transactions Jim Benning's made, whether that be trades, signings, buyouts in this past week is unprecedented in my mind like I can't imagine a GM that's done this much or the this many transactions in a week's time I mean you said there was 14 players signed today alone well when we started recording uh, there was I mean who knows we could have missed some more too it's uh, yeah 14 though today and Connor Garland yesterday and, and a trade and a buyout yesterday and yeah, man, and and the deals as well, like one ways, two ways, ELCs, thirty-five pluses, like there, there, it's it's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I, I do think now the focus is going to turn on the three remaining RFAs that the Canucks still need to sign. You got Petey, Hughes, and Dickinson. Um, so by my calculations, I believe the Canucks have just under seventeen million dollars in cap space. That's once they're able to put Furlan's three and a half on LTIR. Uh, you also brought up, Pete, that there are guys that are counting against the cap that will eventually end up in the AHL, and then that money gets wiped off the books. So the Canucks are probably looking at about 18.3, 18.5 in cap space to get those three guys in. Can you get a long-term deal done with PD and Hughes? Probably not, because you still have to sign Dickinson. But we'll see. But I think that is going to be the focus for the Canucks throughout the rest of the summer. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Petey or Hughes sign closer to training camp as opposed to the next week or so. That's just my hunch on the matter, uh, especially since the Canucks aren't able to put Furlan's money on LTIR until the season starts. And if you look at the past track record of the Besser contract negotiations and the Besser, or sorry, the Horvat and Besser contract negotiations, they came down to the wire as well. 
Well, remember, also, Olio Levy needs to be signed. So they got they got four oh, yeah. RFAs there. You can go 10% over the cap, so you do have that flexibility until you can place Furland and demote some guys. So there is a bit of that, but it gets kind of a, into a dangerous game doing it that way uh, as well. But that's uh, that's going to be the next piece of business, and it's a big piece of business. Is I still think it's going to be tight now with, uh, with those four guys getting them all locked up. But that's what we can all wait for now is uh, that's going to be the next pieces of news to drop for the Canucks. Overall, crazy day. we got a new-look team. I think looking at this, I think it's a playoff team. Um, I, I really do, especially in the Pacific Division. I think they, they get in. Uh, I'm excited to watch this year. It's a different team. We're not bringing back the same blue line as a lot of us, including myself, thought. Uh, we've got some different pieces filling some various needs in the forward core and Dickinson Garland and Pot Colson. I think it's going to be uh, very entertaining. Yeah, I I'm, can't wait for the season to start. And honestly, we're only a couple of months out. I mean, July is nearly over. You know, you got August and halfway through September is when training camp opens up. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. The other thing we never touched about or talked about this episode is uh, the schedule was released. Um, So, obviously, we can dive into that a little bit later in a later episode. But, uh, yeah, the Canucks schedule was released. Uh, There's some pretty key dates on that schedule, especially after today, like an Edler signing in L.A. That first game in Vancouver has a whole new meaning now. And, obviously, the first game against the Kraken in Vancouver. Yeah, I've only glanced at it. I know they start with a season-long road trip, which is very fitting for Canucks schedules. But hey, whatever. It's uh, I, I can't wait. Let's get it going. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Check out this playlist on Spotify as well. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. All the good tunes on there. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Ben. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.